Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Ready to become better than most people and most things? Welcome to the Pat Flynn Show. Best-selling author, entrepreneur, fitness expert, and philosopher, Pat Flynn, teaches you how to learn and become amazing at almost everything through the concept of generalism, acquiring and stacking skills that will help you dominate in business and life. Want to get in shape? Write a book? Be a better precog division officer? Or simply launch a successful business empire? Well, sit back, relax, and listen as Pat and his guests offer digestible and entertaining insights on how to learn the skills, tactics, and strategies you need to pursue your goals and achieve the life you've always wanted. Hey folks, welcome back to the Pat Flynn Show and to the Sunday School segment. I have a returning guest, again, somebody I'm always delighted to talk with, a true generalist if there ever was one, Dr. Vos. Thank you for joining me once, once again. Once again. Oh, it's my pleasure, Pat. So I was thinking about you the other day for a couple of reasons. First, you shared this article on the meaning of life, which I thought was excellent. And that's where I, that's where I want to spend most of our focus today. Sure. And I mean, like, what a significant question, right? <laughs> no, I thought it was a good one. It was a tough one. <laughs> yeah, no, no pressure or anything. We're just going to try and give the meaning of life. But almost immediately after I saw your article, I, and you may have seen this, there was a video going around on Facebook from, uh, do you know who Michio Kaku is? Uh, no, I don't. So he's kind of a high-level physicist, um, pretty popular, you know, pop pop scientist, not mm-hmm. in like a derogatory sense. I'm sure his his work in physics is is quite good. Yes. But as you know, some of the pop scientists like to venture into philosophy every now and then, and and sometimes they do a decent job, sometimes they don't. Uh, so he started off, and a lot of his message was really good about you know working hard and. Um, He's not a determinist, so that's good. So he, he subscribes mm-hmm. to free will and things like that. So he believes you, you are in control of your, of your future, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, he started getting into the meaning of life. And this was almost right after I read your article. And, uh, and I don't know if he's, he's religious or not, but he said something um, around the lines like, oh, well, you know, if the meaning of life was just told to us from, from somebody up high, well, that just seems too easy to me. That can't be the meaning of life. The meaning of life has to be to reinvent yourself. And he kind of just left it at that. And um, I was a little surprised because, and this is what I wanted to get your take on, I wasn't sold on the idea that just because it was easy to figure out the meaning of life, therefore that isn't the meaning of life. And also the second part, which is uh, just because you figured it out doesn't mean it's easy to live up to it either. So um, I just wanted to open with that because I thought it was a coincidence because it was, I read your article and then immediately I saw his and I'm like, well, maybe there's a discussion point to be had here as we begin this episode. Sure. And I, I love that question, Pat, too, because, uh, you know, when I was asked this question by Nicholas Tonse, who has this, you know, this website, Excellence Reporter, and he goes around and asks all kinds of people, what's the meaning of life? And it, it fascinated me because like some of the people were psychologists, I, I like read as growing up. This Philip Zimbardo did this famous uh, book on shyness. And as a shy teenager, I'd read it. Uh, he did this famous prisoner experiment at Stanford years ago. Uh, this Robert Sternberg, a great psychologist writing on practical intelligence. Other people like that who I've read throughout the years, I found, oh, they also gave answers. And some of them very fascinating ones. But yeah, but the answers, though, too, there's, some of them are kind of all over the place. Some say, well, the question doesn't even make sense. You know, the idea that, yeah, we, we make our, our own meaning. 
mm-hmm. uh, like reinvent ourselves, as you said, the physicists had said. And it, that kind of reminds me of some of the existentialists, like Sartre. You know that mm-hmm. you, you know we don't really have any meaning that we don't give to our you know that we ourselves don't create. And and my answer there, you know, is basically kind of tying back on the age old answers that were given by uh, philosophers that are found in the in the great religions. You know, it's basically to to live up to what we what we are as human beings, the potentials that God has given us as created uh, beings. You know, we find meaning when we seek out truth and we try to do good. So, in some ways, you can say those are easy answers to to try to find the truth and do what's good. But yeah, like you said, it's far easier living it out than just finding what those general answers are. So, so yeah, that's one thing I tried to do. I, I kind of uh, focused maybe on two main aspects which were the kind of powers or abilities that we all share as human beings. You know, we all have the ability to, to use language, to think in terms of concepts, to reason, to do all these things that no other creature on earth can do, you know? So it's important that we feel fulfilled when we make the most of those abilities. And of course, I also mentioned what's unique to each of us, that we all have all our own special interests and talents and how great it is that they, they, they mesh, that they're complementary, that the things that I would hate to do, other people love to do and, thing, and, and vice versa, you know, so it, all, mm-hmm. so it all works out. But I will just end here in just a second. But there's something I didn't bring into that article because I didn't want to be controversial that I've been thinking about for the last few years, too, is that in some ways, it's such at a common sense level that, yeah, there are all, the, all these important things that every human being shares because we're human beings, you know, regardless of where we are in the world. And we also have, you know, these unique talents and abilities and interests, and we're aware aware of that too. But it seems like in our time, so much focus is at neither end, neither the universal nor the individual, but but somewhere in the middle when we get into this idea of of identity politics, of Mm -hmm. defining ourselves you know, by our race or, or our, our nation or our political party or the region we live within the United States. And it really kind of intrigues me that, that when we focus too much at that level, we kind of tend to deny both what we all share in common and how we're all unique, even people within a particular race or nation or, or belief system. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd, I'd like to dive into that point a little bit more as we go along. Um, because I just so happen to agree with you on that. And I think that's a significant point. It's worth talking about. First, I just wanted to read a little bit of your article because a few of the um, points really jumped out at me, especially since we talk so much about this idea of generalism. I mean, in your second paragraph, it was like you were, <laughs> I mean, it's almost like you were explaining the very philosophy. You said, um, those virtuous keys we all potentially share operate most fully and give life most meaning when we apply them toward developing talents, skills, and interests that are unique to us as well. And this came after the part where you kind of um, uh, defined or, or gave your argument for um, you know, developing those things which we all share in common as, as human beings, like, the, you know, our intellectual powers, uh, the ability to grasp concepts and to reason and to, and to engage in moral decision making as well. Um, so where, where do we start by where does this meaning of life? And I think we're arguing that this is the meaning of life, right? Not, not like you have your meaning and, and somebody else has their meaning, but but you would say that there is an objective meaning to life, right, Dr. Bose? Yeah, in the sense that, you know, and speaking as a Catholic Christian, you know, I think that that's, it's to serve God and it's to be the creatures that God made us to be. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Christ called us to become perfect. Well, perfect in, in terms of, you know, who we are and what our capacities are, especially when we open ourselves up to God. So, so there is that sense there that there's a meaning that, that we all share, you know, we're all to try to follow God's will and to, to focus on what's true and to do what's good and to absorb, you know, ourselves to enjoy what's beautiful, to share that with other people. And yet, you know, because we're all made as unique individual beings, it's going to be manifested in, in different particular ways. You know, we're going we're gonna to do that by developing the talents and interests that we have that maybe, you know, our brothers or sisters or next door neighbors don't and, and vice versa. So where, where then is is the balance between seeking and contemplating and contemplating, excuse me, that ultimate good, which is, which is God. And I think this is, this is where Aquinas really helped to complete the picture for me where after reading Aristotle, um, there was just, there was still that just little piece missing. Right. Um, and not to say that, that Aristotle didn't pay any attention to it. Uh, but I, I found like, okay, this is, this is, true this is right when i when i started to study aquinas but but how do we find that balance or or how do we orient the development of all these other talents skills and interests in relation to getting um or or finding that imperfect happiness as aquinas would put it in the life here and now right right yeah aquinas is so you know we have an imperfect happiness here on earth it's still valuable you know but we can never be completely happy until you know, we see have the beatific vision, you know, to see God in heaven, to have the, the have truth, goodness, and beauty, you know, before us as a whole there. But on Earth, it is important. Um, I think back to another theory that I was trained in as a psychologist, which I think has some value here. The theories of uh, Alfred Adler, great psychiatrist who who had worked with Freud and then, and then broke away, and he talks about two two important drives. Uh, that we have, or really he doesn't speak in terms of drives, things pushing us. He thinks, uh, speaks in terms of goals, you know, teleology, mm-hmm. ideals that, that pull ourselves up. And the first he called a striving for superiority. And it doesn't necessarily mean to be superior over other people, but just to make the most of what we have. He says, you know, even when we're infants, you know, we struggle so hard, you know, to be able to move and control our bodies and then to crawl, you know, to roll over, to walk. So we're always striving to be more, to be able to do more, you know, to, to build our powers. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a good thing. We strive to become more than we, than we were. Uh, but he says, how do you tell, though, if that's really a positive thing or if that's something psychologically harmful? Well, he said the greatest goal, though, should be towards uh, social interest uh, or, or love and concern and relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. So you can tell that those strivings are healthy ones if they bring good things to other people, you know, if they also help lift other people up and don't put them down. So I like that idea. He even made the, this idea of social interest, uh, what he called the really the the uh, epitome of defining mental health, mm-hmm. a person who is concerned and cares about other people and takes effort, you know, for their own good is a person who's psychologically healthy. So in a sense to me, I thought, well, in a way he's saying that psychological health is following Christ's second commandment, you know, to, to love others, you know, as yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think even Adler, of course, he misses out that, that ultimate one to love God with all that you are. And when you love God with all that you are and your neighbor is yourself, you're kind of getting everything in there, you know, because even loving yourself, you're loving what's best in yourself, your capacity for virtue, your capacity for excellence. And you're also showing that that ultimate satisfaction that the love of God, you're, you're showing that to him by acting it out and loving the people who are around you. Yeah, that's um, 
That's good because I know for me, even in my years as an atheist or agnostic, until I started really contemplating contemplating the uh, existentialist side, it was never hard for me to find a meaning. You know, I've always been able to attach myself to working hard at various things, fitness, music, building a business, etc. But now as I've really tried to deepen my spiritual practice and my spiritual life, it's it's trying to find that right balance and orientation where I can continue to develop and sometimes aggressively develop all the things that I'm interested in, but keep them in the right relationship to what is the actual meaning of life and not just whatever meaning I've had to attach myself to. That's right. You know, and I think that that, you know, just gives, gives it all, you know, well, meaning really, it, it gives a real purpose. It also is a thing that, that allows us to strive, you know, make the best that we can while maintaining some sense of humility, you know, knowing that we originally, we come from the earth, we can't do everything. We're very limited. There's not one of us here, you know, speaking or listening who gave himself his own existence, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, or or can necessarily maintain that. So, yeah, I think having the goals with God as your focus to keeps that, that, that humility that, that tempers us, you know, so we reach as high as possible, but don't overreach. And we also, though we want to strive to develop ourselves, we're not going to resent it when other people do, you know? So by the same sense of humility and charity, it's also going to help us, you know, combat the feelings of, of envy that can really, you know, make us uncomfortable and harm other people. So how would you recommend that, that people, because I think there is that, that it's a little stereotypical. I don't think it's as true as, as some people who aren't, um, religious would make it claim. And, and I know I, I held to the stereo, stereotype too in my atheist days. And, and reading a bunch of Rand and Nietzsche kind of makes you think this way, is that people put people who believe, people who have faith, will put their life off because they're just waiting to get to heaven, right? They'll, they'll, they'll be lazy. They won't care about things. They won't develop themselves. Um, I definitely used to fall into that camp and, until I started to read people like Aquinas and Aristotle who actively encouraged, you know, self fulfillment, eudaimonia in so many different ways. But I don't think the stereotype is, it is, I don't think it completely fails. I think there, there certainly, certainly is something to be said about that where, um, you know, and I, I'm not even convinced that it's wrong if, if, if people subscribe to that, uh, if that, if that's what they decide to do, uh, I would just say maybe they're missing out on something. Does that make sense with what I'm getting at? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I'm, this may not be going too far, but recently I read a biography of uh, Sherman, William Tecumseh Sherman, one of the yeah. Civil War generals. And in his own case, his wife was a very, very devout Catholic and tried all her life to get him uh, into the faith, which I don't believe that he ever uh, did. But um, in talking about this, he said the one thing he did respect was that Catholic emphasis on works, you know, trying to do good things that matter because – Sometimes there is held by some Christians, and I'm not by any means saying all, the idea that, that like, you know, fulfilling God's will means you, you believe a certain thing. You believe a certain phrase about the, the right relationship with Jesus, and then you're done, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that tends to alienate some people because, yeah, I mean, ideally, if we're truly going to follow the will of, of God, we're going to try to, to develop ourselves, to, to perfect ourselves, to, to share that goodness with other people. So regardless of your belief system, I mean, uh, uh, just believing certain ideas should only be the, the kernel of what a meaningful life is about. You've got to be acting on those ideas. Yeah, and, and for me, I'd, I never saw them as exclusive in a sense where I, when I really started to believe and, and form that relationship with Jesus, 
the works kind of just fell out more or less automatically from that belief. It was, it was never kind of an, an either or. It was always a, a both end package for me. But that, that whole idea of works and good works was something that I also severely misunderstood and um, is often very misrepresented about the Catholic faith. But once you start to dive into it and you start to, to see where it comes from, and especially when you study the, the rich, varied intellectual history of the great you know, church thinkers and fathers, it becomes, it, well, it's, it essentially really helps to drive the meaning of life, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. And, and a life is not only, I mean, a creed is fundamental, but it's not only a creed, it is, you know, literally a matter of living. So, so our beliefs in some way, you know, in some way should color, you know, all the things that we do and think about the way we relate, relate to other people's. It really should kind of give us, you know, a, a basis for what we do in all the areas of our life. So maybe we could go back to, uh, I'm just skimming through your article here again. Actually, this, this, before we go back to the point you, you brought up at the um, beginning of the episode where people kind of spend a little or, or, or are starting to spend a little bit too much time in the middle, there's a few other things I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, and I'll just read a few sentences from your article here and then turn it over to you. So you say, I think life is most meaningful when we experience a deep sense of wonder at all of creation and of gratitude for the gift of human life, a gift that makes us not only a part of creation, but a part that can appreciate its beauty and goodness. So how much does this, does this weigh into, because I think this is a part that is, is I know for me, this has always been a part that's, that's easy to overlook. I'm somebody who just like, I like to go, I like to do, I've always had trouble stopping to smell the roses, so to speak. And it's something I, I've actively had to practice and developing my prayer life has really helped me to do that. And it's been really meaningful and in a, in a, in a truly profound way. Um, so I'm glad, I'm really glad you put this in there. I just wanted you to expand on it if you wouldn't mind. Sure, sure. You know, and, and philosophers long said, said long ago, philosophy kind of begins with a sense of wonder. You're kind of wowed by the things around you. Wonder, understand how they got there. What's their purpose? You know, you want to know the whole story. And just something right before we came on, I was just flipping through Facebook and someone had posted some kind of image that's saying in 4 billion years or something, uh, the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy is supposed to collide. I believe it was with the Andromeda galaxy or something. And it had like a little depiction there. And just, you know, whenever I see these photos of deep space, it generates that sense of awe and wonder, you know, just, you know, just, it's just awesome to think about how far away those objects are, how many there are, mm -hmm. how incredibly beautiful they are and gigantic they are. And yet we also can see this wonder you know, under a microscope. You know, there's there's a whole world within every cell and then a chemical world, you know, within within there and an atomic world within there. So, you know, it, it's so easy to take everything for granted, but but it's good at times to be able to sit back and just go, wow, you know, th this is all really fantastic. It's amazing. And I should be grateful for it that of all these things out there, as far as we know, you know, uh, on this earth, human beings are the only creatures that can really fathom this, communicate to each other about it and, and share that wonder. So would you say that there is, um, because you, you, you hinted at, you know, we should all use reason. That's because this is what makes humans unique. We are rational animals. But are there a series of fundamental skills that you think just about every human should try to develop to, to some extent? And if so, what would, what would some of those skills be? Sure. Yeah. Some of the basic skills are, 
you know, reason, you know, can be used at its heights. Like you described the physicist, you know, using these, all these abstract formulas and principles and theories and, and coming up with, you know, wonderful theories and deep understandings. That's a wonderful use of reason, but it's a use, you know, that most of us are never going to attain to. We don't have that kind of expertise or that kind of capacity in that area, but reason should play a role for, for all of us. And just the basic sense of trying to find out what's true, you know, to the greatest extent it's possible. So we don't just don't go around constantly trying just to reinforce opinions we already have. Uh, so when we're given some information, we're trying to decide, well, is that really true or not? You know, should I subscribe that to that or not? Which would mean, you know, listening to other people's arguments, uh, trying to avoid the kind of either or thinking you're talking about, because so often things are presented as, you know, it's either this or that, forgetting all kinds of possible you know, shades in between, or, or maybe both positions are wrong. So, so in one sense, just that, that openness to try to seek the truth. And also, we need to keep in mind that, you know, we're all emotional beings. We have desires, you know, and passions and, and, and feelings. We can get hurt, or we can get anxious and fearful. I think it's useful to realize that that reason, you know, can also be trained to help us deal with those passions and desires. So, so we're not quite so reflexive about things, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just reading this, this wonderful little, little novel right now, and, and it talks about a young woman who had a very, very rough life coming up, and she goes around in her 20s, and she's like, she's angry about everything. And, and one of the lines in there, she's basically saying, well, how could she not be angry? She doesn't have any control over that, you know. Uh, but, but that's one lesson that Stoics really pressed was that we do have a, a lot of control over how we feel about things. So I think that's one of the most important uses of reason to train ourselves to not get rid of feelings, but, but to, to uh, train ourselves to feel in a way that will, that will most help us, that will most help us you know, cope with difficult situations. So as a psychologist, what are some recommendations for that? Do you recommend, uh, obviously we uh, as Catholics, like and prefer prayer. Do you like to incorporate other forms of meditation or other mental exercises or routines to help develop that that control or that relationship? Uh, perhaps a, a more compassionate, less uh, compulsive relationship with our emotions. Oh yes, you know, and of course, in a prayer as a means, you know, we ask God, you know, to to give us the ability to control those things, right? You know, help us forgive others, uh, you know, and so on. So. By the act of prayer, we do realize that that we can control our own emotions and behaviors, and especially if we're asking out to, to God for his help. Uh, in terms of our daily reactions, uh, you know, our, our secular methods without prayer, I've, I've always been immersed in the, the fields of cognitive therapy and rational emotive therapy mm-hmm. that tries to train us to, to realize, you know, there are things we can do. There are ways we can talk to ourselves to keep ourselves from upsetting ourselves or getting unnecessarily angry. A lot of this goes back most explicitly to the writings of the Stoic philosophers. You know, Epictetus said, you know, people are not disturbed by things, but by the views they take of things. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not always a knee-jerk reaction. Somebody does X, I have to feel Y. You know, you can reframe it. Think about it differently. You might feel differently. Yeah, I like that. And that that was definitely... You know, for years I was I was into um, I was very into Zen Buddhism, and I studied that a lot because you know that was that was something you could kind of dabble in and as an atheist or agnostic, right? Without and too <laughs> too many metaphysical commitments, right? Uh, but I did I did find the um, uh, and later did I realize 
uh, what a mistake it was to not dabble in those metaphysical commitments. But I did realize that there was great benefit to the practice of meditation. But I always struggled with mindfulness meditation. I have that sort of monkey brain that, that's always kind of running, which is why I need meditation, right? But then when I started to incorporate uh, prayer into that, it really gave me um, an anchor point, um, you know, whether it's it's just reciting things like the Hail Mary or, or just working my way around the rosary to, to really enhance the effectiveness of the meditation practice. So it was, it was kind of two worlds coming together that, that really um, complemented each other very nicely. Um, so, you know, for anybody out there who's, who's, who's either using one or the other, it might be useful to explore a bit of both. And I, and I know a lot of prayer practices um, involve a lot of meditation work as well. Um, but for you, Dr. Bose, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about um, what some of your um, routine is like for your, both your, your spiritual, your meditative practice. Sure, sure. You know, in, in myself, you know, I, I am a person of routine. I'm a very early riser. I get up about four or so most mornings. And yeah, and I usually start, you know, with simple prayers, actually the prayers of my childhood, the, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the, the, the Glory Be, uh, you know, brief prayers to God that way. And then I, I start with a, a scriptural reading. Right now I'm just reading a New Testament that has, it, it's set up to read it during the course of a year. Oh yeah, so my, read, wife, my wife's doing that as well right now, yep. Yeah, it, just, it couldn't be simpler, you know. And, and in the terms of a New Testament, it's just a couple pages usually. So that, you know, that kind of gets the thoughts there focused, you know, focused on God after the prayer, praying to the Holy Spirit to get some wisdom from, from the reading. And then myself, and then I usually do a philosophical reading of some kind afterwards. Uh, lately, I've been reading the Stoics. I just finished uh, Seneca's book on benefits or gratitude, actually, mm -hmm. uh, to kind of, you know, deeper think about, think, I'm sorry, think more deeply about, uh, you know, the prayers and the meditations of the day, how to, how to put them into practice. And I think the practical Stoic writings of people like Seneca are very helpful, too, because he, he looks at all kinds of just normal interactions you have with people and, you know, things that might make you angry, uh, that might make you fearful, how you don't necessarily have to, to take them that way. Mm -hmm. So I try to incorporate that. Um, sometimes I'll read Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius. And, and Marcus Aurelius, you know, the, the uh, Roman emperor from the... Uh, second, the end of the second century AD, you know, wrote his book called The Meditations. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, you know, thoughts to himself when he was at the, the frozen German rivers with the, the hordes on the other side and he was trying to maintain the order of the empire. He'd retire at night and write these to himself. And one of the first ones he says, you know, each day upon arising, he says, tell yourself, you know, today I'm going to encounter, you know, the unneighborly, the unthankful the overbearing, you know, and we might say, hey, the person who's going to cut me off in traffic, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the rude clerk, whatever it might be, he says, you know, but say to yourself, when those people act that way, in some way, it makes sense to them. And they're human beings like we are, you know, God put them on this earth too. So let's just say in advance that we're not going to become angry with them. We're going to bear with them. We're going to treat them kindly, you know, as brothers and sisters. So I find that kind of a meditation helpful too. Mm -hmm. Um, that we, we bear that in mind. We're going to encounter other people who might upset us, but there are things we can do about it. And as Christians too, we can also ask for God's help in doing that. So, so myself, well, that's basically how I start my day with prayer, scriptural reading, and philosophical reading. And on a good day, I might be able to put some of that in practice as the, the day thing goes on. <laughs> yeah. Especially if I go to the gym. <laughs> this happened uh, Saturday. Mm -hmm. All I wanted to do was overhead presses. is my main core exercise. Mm -hmm. I saw the parking lot was just almost empty. There were nobody in the first two sections of the gym. 
I look way back in the corner at that one rack I was going to use, and sure enough, there's somebody on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that. But you prepare yourself; that that's going to happen. Sure, Mur- Murphy's Law. But uh, what I what I what I like about your routine is there seems to be a lot of expectations management, and you know the saying, you know, all disappointment comes from improperly set expectations. So you sit here and you meditate and you think about, hey, expect to run into some people who might be a little grouchy today or, or unthankful or rude or things like that. It, it sort of prepares you to be kind and, and compassionate when those situations do arise rather than being surprised and, and reactive, right? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, So that's one way to keep ourselves in line. Another thing I, I maybe don't always do but should is uh, to also kind of set ourselves up to be a little proactive too. You know, uh, what can I do today to, to reach out to someone? There's a book I read years ago that one of my publishers puts out, Sophia Stute Press, called uh, The Hidden Power of Kindness. Hmm. And that had such an impact on me that, that usually at the end of my prayers, too, I will add one little statement, Lord, help me to be kind. You know, just to keep that in mind, to be on the lookout for a way you can reach out to some person. Because, you know, some people, you know, we know a lot of people now go around in a depressed state or they're very seriously lonely or anxious. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the simplest little thing, you know, a greeting, uh, opening a door for someone, a small thing can make a difference to a person. So I think it's good if we can also put that into our meditations, not just, you know, how do we keep ourselves under control, but, you know, maybe how do we reach out a little bit to someone else? Yeah, it, it really is an important thing to remember um, because you never know how that one small act of kindness could, you know, maybe not explode isn't, isn't the best word, but how it can, how that could profoundly impact somebody's life down the line. You know, that whole idea of chaos theory, right? Where one tiny little, almost imperceptible thing can like a flap of a butterfly's wing can lead to a hurricane in some capacity years later. I think that, I think that definitely works, uh, is, is true for also how you treat people as well and, and why it's, it's, it is important to be proactive, uh, with kindness and charity and things like that. And I think that that's actually a good segue to the, to the, part that I wanted to talk about next, which you mentioned in, in the article, but um, you outline um, in much more detail in, in your one minute Aquinas, and that is uh, the virtues. So how important are, well, first off, what are virtues and how, and how important are they um, as it counts to the meaning of life? Sure, sure. And, you know, there's different ways of looking at uh, the virtues. Uh, Aristotle, one of the earliest writers, you know, spoke in terms of arete or excellences. Uh, and they're really like, you know, they're, they're perfections of our powers or capacities. Like people are probably aware of some of the, what they call the cardinal virtues, the moral virtues of prudence or being practical wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, courage or fortitude, you know, where we get ourselves to do difficult things. Uh, temperance or self-control where we keep ourselves from doing things we shouldn't, you know, being lustful or gluttonous, things like that. Mm-hmm. And also justice that we give each person their rightful due. Now, you know, people like Aristotle, uh, the, the Stoics, Aquinas, talked about these virtues as dispositions or tendencies that we all have. I and mean, we, we all have the capacity to become more courageous, more self-controlled, more, more just in our dealings with other people. But to do that, we have to make them habits. So they also said that virtues are also, in a sense, they're habits. They're ways that we train ourselves to act in courageous ways or to act in self-controlled ways. Uh, so we, so they require that we, we do little acts. Like Aristotle said, we become harpists by playing the harp and builders, you know, by building. 
Mm-hmm. So there, there are powers within us that we perfect by doing the right things. And in fact, you know, the opposite are, are vices. Vices are tendencies to, to sin and, and do wrong things. So, so with these virtues, if we train ourselves up in them, you know, they can, they can make us uh, have much more control over ourselves. We can make it much easier for us to achieve the things we want to achieve, you know, and to be gracious and kind to other people. Now, even extending beyond that um, into the, into the theological side, there there are the three theological virtues. So, so how would you um, how do those play into all this? Sure, sure. And the those those cardinal or moral virtues are ones you know that the secular philosophers all knew about. They also talked about intellectual virtues of knowledge, understanding, and, and wisdom. But yeah, the three theological virtues. Uh, you know, come from our Christian heritage. There, St. Paul talks about them in 1 Corinthians, you know, faith, hope, and love. And these are virtues that are infused in us from God. They, they come through God's graces. We get them at, at baptism. They're, they're strengthened through other sacraments like confirmation. And these are virtues that can guide us, you know, not just towards the imperfect happiness here on earth, but towards that perfect happiness in heaven. So, you know, in, in faith, of course, we show our, our trust, you know, in God. When we have hope, we hope that we'll someday see God in heaven and that he will give us the aids that we need to get there. You know, so that's part of being hopeful. But of course, you know, charity, that love is the highest of all three. You know, St. Paul writes beautifully about what charity or love is and how all the other virtues are, are, are dead without it. So these really are the ultimate perfecting virtues and especially charity. Thomas called uh, charity the mother of all the virtues. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know, the love for God and neighbor and for the highest part of ourselves should really govern every other virtue we have because all of our abilities and talents should some way in serve that, you know, uh, loving God, loving neighbor and making the best of our own abilities. And that, that comes back almost to the original point we made is how do you find that orientation? So, um, I know that Aristotle helps to define virtues as kind of the mean between the deficiency and excess yes. of, of certain qualities. But even beyond that, having that, the, the charity or love is the mother virtue, um, that can kind of help, uh, help you with the prudence side, right? The prudent decision-making of to what extent do I develop these virtues? Why am I developing them? Um, that's right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, please take it from there. <laughs> sure. Sure. I just, I just take off on prudence, you know, because it's like prudence is that practical wisdom where you seek the right means to obtain virtuous goals. But in a sense, it's charity that sets those goals. You know, mm-hmm. what is practically ours? What should we be pursuing? Well, does it, does it serve charity? Does it serve the love of God and neighbor? And another cool thing about the three theological virtues that St. Thomas brings out. Uh, is a, a faith, hope, and love. He says, once we get to heaven, we won't need faith or hope because faith regards things unseen and we will actually see God. Mm-hmm. Now, hope involves our, our, uh, the hopefulness that we'll be there with God. And at that point, we already will be. He said, but that charity, that love will go on throughout eternity. So part of what really um, brought me back to the, the Catholic faith in particular um, and Christianity in general um, was just how many um, good answers it had to difficult questions. And the meaning of life was something I always, like I said, I could always give myself a meaning, but then, you know, you you get good at it. And then that meaning would, would fall away and you weren't that interested in it anymore. And you're like, okay, well that definitely wasn't the meaning of life. Um, and like I said, you know, I started to, to 
get a little more serious in my existentialism, um, which almost inevitably leads to nihilism. And that just was such an unlivable philosophy. Um, and I think it is an unlivable philosophy for everybody, which thankfully most atheists probably aren't nihilists. But I was also at the same time trying to be as consistent as I could. Um, and I just, so much of um, what attracted me back uh, and restored my faith was just how many good answers and how much sense all this stuff ultimately makes and how useful it is uh, to society as well. Of course, not everybody lives perfectly up to it. We're, we're all flawed, right? We're all sinners in some regard. Uh, but at least we have that that solid foundation and that orientation. So I don't know if, if you wanted to, because I know we both kind of took a, a similar path um, back. And I would just be curious if, if that was what attracted you as well. Uh, yes, it was, you know, and, and as an atheist, you know, I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic schools and all. So I was never one of those person who, who attacked Christianity, you know, or any religion really, because I knew there was a lot of goodness there uh, and a lot of good intention. And, and, you know, I've been, been back to the faith since 2004. And by the same means, I, I would not, you know, uh, lay out any blanket condemnation of atheists. I know there's many good people out there. And the reason they're atheists is that they believe they're trying to be uh, true to themselves. They're trying to seek truth. And at this point in their life, they can't see that uh, the truth of Christianity. So, but what brought me back, yeah, though, was, though, so many of what I cherished as truths from my readings in philosophy, just through reason, I found so many of them, they were there. I mean, Thomas Aquinas, he, he'd incorporated Aristotle. He incorporated the Stoics and some of the best of Plato and Cicero, these people that I so looked up to in their, the way they saw, you know, the, the, the values in human life, but then took them to a higher realm, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, baptized them, showed how this all led to God. Uh, and, and with Thomas, he brought me in first because of his amazing understanding of humanity. You know, with my training as a psychologist, I read his second part of the Summa. You know, he talks about the nature of humanity, what the virtues are, how they're there, you know, to really to help us make us happy. And it all made so much sense. And then when I dug into his attributes of God, uh, his arguments for the existence of God, I found it very, very powerful uh, that, that he did all this without appealing to Scripture, you know, because if a person doesn't believe in the Bible, how are you going to convince them? you know, of God, you know, through, through only the Bible itself without an appeal to things outside of it. And I found that Thomas did that so well. He made such glorious arguments just based on reason. But then he also presented the arguments of the scripture in a way that I'd never encountered before, despite my Catholic upbringing. So, so yeah, some people talk about coming to the Catholic church and experiencing the fullness of truth. And, and that's how I felt about it. It wasn't that I had no truth at all when I was outside, but when I came back in, it just it raised the heights that I never would have imagined. Yeah, I, I would say that's um, that's almost exactly the same experience that I had as well. Is that, um, and again, not to say that anybody outside of the church is 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 wrong or is is living a life that is untrue. But it's what you said. It's it's that fullness of truth or the completeness of truth that that I found, and and that was like, okay, yes, this this is what. I've actually been looking for. And and then upon discovering that, it really just helped me to reorient and find even greater meaning in all the other things that I was already interested in. And some of those things started to dim in, in their passion and, and fitness included. But that fire has since um, been restoked immensely um, since re- returning to the faith because there's, there is a new sense of, of general meaning, uh, of objective meaning that now kind of supports 
and undergirds all these other passions and interests. And I just, I just found that that was, was quite significant um, as well. And, and I, I, it helped me to stop just kind of moving from one fleeting passion to the next, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it sure does. And I think it's a great story. Pat. I, I just think it, I, it reminds me of this, the old saying of uh, St. Irenaeus. He said that the glory of God is man fully alive. So if, if we're really embracing a real faith, you know, it's not going to make us just some, you know, meek people just waiting to die till we get to heaven. It's going to make us fully alive, you know, even here on earth, where we're going to have that that meaning that comes from above, and we're going to try to act it out while we're here, and and you know, hope to God we'll be in heaven and experience Him in eternity. But yeah, hopefully a faith, you know, a person who embraces the Catholic faith uh, should not be giving up anything, anything of true value. If you still have, you know passions, uh, like, you know, fitness, other areas of learning, you know, go for them. They may even have more meaning once you come into the church or they should. And two, and you won't be doing them just to glorify yourself. You'll be doing them to glorify God and, and also to inspire and, and enthuse other people to make the most uh, of, of what they, the abilities they have. So if you were to encapsulate it, if, you, if, if we were to say, okay, Dr. Vos, you're, you're going on, uh, uh CNN or whatever major news network, and you have 30 seconds to summarize the meaning of life. <laughs> Again, no pressure, but uh, how, would, how would you put it? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from Jesus, who was also quoting Deuteronomy. You know, we should love God with all that we are and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And if we love ourselves, we are going to develop all the abilities that we've been given. We're going to become as smart as we can be, as happy as we can be, as caring and kind and as giving. And we're going to do that in an attitude of thankfulness to God that he gave us those capacities and the awareness that he wants us to share them with other people. And we should also experience great joy when we see other people leading, leading meaningful lives of their own. Wow, that definitely sounds like you've had some media training with that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough question. I just sometimes you talk about the Holy Spirit, you know, putting the words in your mouth. So if those made any sense, that's where the no. I, th- I think that I think that was that was beautiful and it was awesome. And I, I always love our conversations. So uh, perhaps we can finish up with. Uh, I just I, I'd love to hear. I know you're always working on on different projects. You're always doing uh, a lot of cool new things. Uh, you, I know you said you just wrapped up one book, but what's it? What's in the pipeline for you? What can people look forward to from from Doctor Vost? And then finally, uh, what's the best way for people to uh, to follow you, to get in contact with you, and all that? Sure, sure. In the pipeline, I think coming out next month is a book called from Unroute Books and Media called uh, Memorize the Latin Mass, one of my memory books. Uh, with the editor now is How to Think Like Aquinas for Sophia Institute Press. We're expecting this to be a big book coming out this September. Mm. And then right now I'm working on another memory book called Memorize the John. I'm sorry, Memorize John, the Gospel of John, where you memorize uh, key elements in that gospel using techniques that were taught by St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Albert the Great. Um, just a, uh, an aside testimony. I had a friend at the house the other day and, and your book, Memorize the, the Faith, was out and he started picking up and reading it. And uh, just as we were driving back from the gym today, he was mentioning that book. I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm going on the air with Dr. Vos. And he wanted me to let you know that that he really enjoyed it. And he's, you know, he, he spends a lot of time learning languages. So he's like, oh man, the memorization techniques in that book are really helpful. I'm like, borrow it, take it. It's, a, it's an amazing book. So you, you do great work. You're helping a ton of people and uh, I'll be sure to link to um, all that stuff in the show notes page so people can uh, uh, get themselves um, um, in, in wrapped in all of it. 
Ah, well, thank you so much. And all the best to your friends. Some of the some of the earliest psychological studies were using these methods with uh, foreign language learning. So that's uh, that should be a good mesh. Thank you so much, Dr. Vost. Oh, you're most welcome, Pat. God bless. Folks, don't just be strong. Be strong and flexible. Don't just be lean. Be lean and muscular. This is what it means to maximize general physical preparedness, to be better than most people at most things. And that's what my premier program, Strong On, is all about. As a member of Strong On, you get access to not only my best classic kettlebell challenges like the Extreme 21-Day Challenge, Kettlebell Super, Kettlebell Ultimate, Kettlebell Maximum, but you also get access to a daily rotating generalist workout challenge using the power of high-intensity kettlebell complexes, combos, circuits, and chains. So I invite you to head over to chroniclesofstrength.com backslash strong on. That's chroniclesofstrength.com backslash strong on and become a member today. When you join, you not only get access to all the challenges and workouts, but you get the awesome strong on t-shirt and jug of protein as well. Chroniclesofstrength.com backslash strong on. Check it out. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.